coaches some voluntary organization.、Mm. I want to donate vegetables, fresh vegetables, because I really want to do something. So, such kind、mm. of stuff already happens. So, how we can involve not only just like、uh, who already know the issues, but also who, didn't, who don't know issues yet.、Mm. And also, COVID 19 illustrates all、oh, the many civil society organizations there. So, not only bigger or like a advocacy type of the organization, but also I feel like so community organization's role is really important. But this kind of small community organization t e n d to always lack of money. So, hopefully, I can illustrate the importance of this small type of organization to get a fund or a subsidy to continue so sustainable work. And also, like, yeah, from what you're saying, in terms of civil societies and community organizations, that really showed us how you know, they, their work is very important and they're supporting the resilience of the community itself.、Um, and you know, one of our kind of recommendations or, or guide, guidelines that we come up with is to ask、um, you know, the government or donor organizations, international organizations, with the power holders、uh, to support this resilience, you know, to financially.、Uh, and, Not, not only just financially, but also with financially, and also to work with them、um, so that they, they, this community resilience is supported and it's actually, you know, it's a participation of, of people affected by themselves. Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to iMigrant Podcast, which is dedicated to highlighting the stories of migrants and advocates, as well as cross cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. The iMigrant Podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, Better Engagement Between East and Southeast Asia. BBC is a cross regional platform for migrants, their loved ones, Supporters and advocates in and from these regions to build a stronger network and collaboration among individuals and civil society actors cross regionally in order to advocate for better protection of human rights and inclusive and safe governance of migration. You can find BBC on social media platforms Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BBC Share, Connect, and Collaborate. This episode is a part of a series focusing on COVID 19's impact on migrant workers in their major destinations in East and Southeast Asia. Following up the cross regional joint research conducted as part of BBC initiative. Throughout this series, we will host this podcast with the coordinator of this research to hear from each field researcher about the situations in their place, their experience, and updates on the recent developments. I'm your host, Andy. And yeah, I'm Southeast Asian graduate and I'm going to、uh, host this series. Today I'm with Mariko. Hi, Mariko. Hi, Andy. And yes,、uh, Mariko is the research coordinator. And could you please tell us a bit about your, your current,、um, what your current project is? And yeah, give us a bit of brief introduction about the research and report.、Mm-hmm. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, my name is Mariko, and I, I was the research coordinator of this project, which looked at、uh, seven major destinations in East and Southeast Asia. 
to look at the COVID-19 response measures and how they impacted the rights of migrant workers during the pandemic. So we have um, worked on this research with um, our great seven um, I'm a field researchers from seven places and this is now um, available as a report on the on the website of Human Rights Working Group. So this was the project that um, I worked with uh, all our field researchers including Jotaro Sanda with us today. So today we are so lucky to have Jotaro here with us to shed light on migrant uh, migrant worker situation in Japan. Right? Hi, Jotaro. Hi. How are you? Hello. So um, Jotaro is a research associate uh, at the Institute of uh, Asian Migrations, doing comprehensive research. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the Waseda University. Could you please tell us, uh, introduce yourself and tell us the areas of your work, your current project and your backgrounds? Mm -hmm. Hi everyone, nice to meet you. It's a great pleasure to join, join here today. Um, I'm Jotaro. Um, I actually still uh, start to work with migrants 2003 when I was a college student. Um, especially so I'm so want to work for irregular migrants, uh, in other words, so people without a legal status. Um, after working several years in uh, enterprises, so I joined the NGO, uh, which called APFS, Asian People's Friendly Society. And um, at that moment, there are many Filipino irregular migrants there, and I tried to so get a residency to these people, especially for the families. And after doing the casework, so I started my academic career uh, from 2017 at Waterloo University. And uh, I currently work on the uh, questioning the illegality of migrants. Why do they need to become illegal? Right. No things are illegal actually, but the word illegal exists. So I want to pursue why. And the another step is uh, working on Vietnamese technical in terms. Uh, it should be so come to today's podcast. Uh, but so I'd like to so uh, figure out what actually happened on these population under COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I'm a researcher, but anyway, uh, I'd like to so talk more casually based on the any experience of me. So great pleasure to join you today. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, very extensive experience. But uh, today we are going to talk about yeah the current situation and uh, basically the research you conducted last year uh, on your chapter in this book, Repression and Resilience. And yeah, could you please tell us a bit of the uh, uh, your main find uh, main findings on your chapters? Okay, um, this research still conducted uh, last year. Um, mostly so summer seasons and uh, I so found many stuff um, by the research and uh, I'm a qualitative researcher so I really like to so go to the field and also uh, interview people and uh, compared to other countries so situation in summer in Japan is better and we still uh, can go to the place and uh, ask a question to the people if we want to so I do the so qualitative research and uh, okay, so findings. So I'd like to say two things. So mm. one is so uh, national government attitude on migrant or uh, like it, it is like ethnocentric. 
So for instance, uh, can I continue? Yes, sure. Okay, yeah.、Um, ethnocentric. So why I use this word is,、uh, for instance,、uh, Japan now have more than 300,000 uh, students come from overseas.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, every student should suffer because of COVID-19. Students tend to work for service industry as a part-time job, unlike restaurants, cafes. Um, of course, many international students also work in that industry. But of course, because of COVID 19, these restaurants, cafes、uh, should affect it very much. That means it's difficult for them to get their income. So it also affects their continuity of the study.、Uh, governments will come up with some ideas to、uh, give scholarship to these students. Give scholarship if those students have a difficulty.、Mm-hmm. However,、uh, for Japanese students, there are, any, there are no limitations at all, conditions. However, for international students,、um, Ministry of Education just wants to、uh, give scholarship for top 30% of international students only because they have a possibility to contribute to Japanese society. However, Why、uh, the, the other 70% of students need to be excluded?、Mm. Everyone faces the pandemic at the same way. And especially those who might cannot get a good grade might have a difficulty with financial conditions、so, um, worse. So I just want this question why still Japan wants to discriminate,、right. um, ethnocentric、uh, attitude toward this population. It's、uh, one of the things I found out by、uh, policy review. This、right. is the first one.、Uh, can I continue to the second one? Yeah. So, what I found from the research is the first COVID 19,、uh, there are already many issues, many difficulties on migrants or technical interns. So, technical interns, actually, they are quite popular in Japan. Japanese government basically, ex prime minister always says Japan is not a country of immigration.、Mm-hmm. We don't take immigration policy. But, the, but、uh, Japan wants to utilize the labor. That's why Japan、uh, started technical internship training program in 1993. Then it continued till now. And、uh, Vietnamese are a major population of technical interns for now. And before COVID 19, they already have、uh, many issues. So, like uh, uh, debt bondage, and、uh, it's difficult to repay the money. And after arriving in Japan, they faced, oh, salary is so less than I expected. Unpaid salary,、uh, harassment by employers. And、uh, some females also got pregnant because they are really lonely in remote areas. So,、uh, how can I say? So, there are many issues already. But because of COVID 19,、uh, this kind of so, vulnerability are amplified. So, be- that's why it is. So, technical in town doesn't have a freedom of movement of workplace, basically. But, like,、uh, Most of the companies which hire these interns are really small or middle sized companies. And some of the companies go to bankrupt 
or they don't need an intern anymore. And some of them are fired. But, but there are no job security on interns. But still, uh, rules or intern cannot uh, freely so choose their job. Then, so some of them really want to find some work and continue to uh, earn because Vietnam is really strict to the, any people to enter Vietnam to prevent uh, COVID-19 affection in that country. So what actually happened is um, many Vietnamese who wish to come back to Vietnam but cannot. But because of like inflexi of inflexibility of the technical intensive training system, uh, many are still suffering in Japan. So COVID-19 and this research so illustrate uh, vulnerability of this population. And because of inflexibility of the system, cannot so change even though COVID-19 happens totally. That's why uh, COVID-19 added more difficulty on them. Uh, this is the main findings of, of the research. Well, thank you, Jotaro, for um, your, you know, your explanations on your findings. And I, I totally agree um, with your observations. And I also wanted to, you know, like um, just comment on this like ethnocentric um, situation is a lot of things has been decided on the based on nationalities or citizenships. So, um, for example, like the you know the entry bans and restrictions that Japan had, even though people some people have livelihood in Japan, uh, but because they are not Japanese, then uh, once they are out of the country, they could not come back. Um, they couldn't you know be together with their family or go back to work or study. So that was really. Um, one of the big issues I thought. Um, I, I think throughout this project, you know, com, uh, findings from the other countries as well, that we, we really find that, you know, the using nationalities and citizenships or sometimes migration status as a criteria for essential services and support is something that is very problem problematic. And, uh, but that was very common issues that in all the destinations. But also at the same time, what you know, what we saw from Japan, uh, which was quite different from uh, some other countries, was that, uh, for example, like the financial assistance from the government, although it was one-off um, things that happened during um, like April, May around that time. But this was, uh, you know, because of the strong advocacy from the civil society, is that the Japanese government uh, decided that this will be. You know the people even with the foreign residents uh, based on their resident residency registrations that uh, um they will be they will be eligible for this uh, assistance so that was something that a little bit positive although you know i have to mention there were still challenges remain how you actually access to this how do you apply for this um you have to fill up on the application forms in japanese and all that difficulties that were again civil society was really um helpful trying to assist this process so this is something that quite um also unique i thought i thought uh, from from Japan cases. So if you, you know, maybe you might be able to elaborate a bit more, explain what really happened uh, around the, the financial assistance and how the civil society has, you know, played uh, roles. And not only just, you know, the direct support, which is very, very important. And I can see that it's been the safety net 
of mm -hmm. these uh, migrant workers are really civil society, but also at the same time, you know, to, through advocacy work, how you know the civil society has been able to um, improve the situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so I'd like to elaborate that point. So. As Mariko said, so Japan um, actually distributes uh, 100,000 Japanese yen, so nearly so 1,000 dollars uh, to every residence. Uh, but when so first this idea come up with and the minister having a press conference, so they, he firstly said, uh, distribute money to all nationals. But of course, if you were a foreign resident, so you feel anxious, oh, how I can get uh, money or not. But so civil society is really so quickly so work on that. And so uh, national government so deflate the word to the residents. Then so uh, if so, he see how so registration in Japan more than six months, uh, basically they can get so money and same as Japanese nationals. But still there are several uh, exceptional cases like Japanese fiscal year uh, starts from April to following year March. That's why uh, many students and uh, technical interns are already so terminated his her legal status and like see he only have a temporal status. And at first they are excluded from the uh, this money uh, package. However, uh, so civil society, of course, so based on the casework, they find out there what is a problem and they raise the uh, questions to the national government. Then it, uh, gradually the target population is uh, become wide, wider. And these really so difficult people who having a difficulty also can get the uh, 100,000 yen. However, still, um, undocumented migrant or irregular migrant, including several uh, asylum seekers, are excluded from uh, this uh, money handout because uh, this is based on the registration. Of course, they want to register it, but Japan excludes from the registration for these uh, people without status since 2012. But what uh, civil society did is, oh, we cannot rely. Of course, they first asked the national government to do something, but uh, still, national government is inflexible on that. So instead of so national government doing nothing, so civil society decided to uh, collect the donations from all over Japan, maybe from the uh, overseas, and also several subsidies too. Then um, the civil society decided to distribute 30,000 Japanese yen or $300 to uh, undocumented migrant asylum seekers, uh, these populations. Of course, money is smaller than uh, the money uh, national government distributes to all nationals and residents. However, uh, the people actually who receive the money should be very pleased with. So no one abandoned me or someone to see me. That kind of feeling should come to these most vulnerable populations. So both are like a policy recommendation, but also direct so social work or case work happened in Japan. So I feel 
this is kind of like a resilience of the civil society work on uh, this population. Right, and I have a follow-up question as well. Like uh, you said that um, civil society uh, organizations have like gathered some some financial support for the undocumented migrants, right? Yeah. But will this be money uh, enough for their for them? And how will the migrants uh, access this information that oh, there is possibility of some financial support? And yeah, how how do get this information? in order for them to get, yeah. Uh, good question. Actually, so one of the uh, mi- migrants who support the other migrants said, so this is so one time, uh, one time so distribution money is not, not enough at all. So mm. it's important to so make it so sustainable. Mm. So, however, so I can still observe uh, there are other initiatives to distribute foods. I think mm. so. For now, still it continues. So mm. some civil societies and also like several religious organizations uh, try to so send their like uh, emergency package like uh, fried noodles, uh, like several sauces uh, for them to so anyway at least sustain their lives. So this kind of stuff are still continued. So COVID-19 Of course, there are many difficult stuff, but COVID-19 also illustrates so what is important in our society. So that is the point. So, um, so COVID-19 uh, tells us the importance of the community organization. Hmm. So even though uh, national government or local governments so transfer several documents, but uh, like uh, this kind of like little information in internet is not accessible for all migrants, especially mm. those who are in vulnerable situation. It's really difficult to so connect to Wi-Fi and uh, read the documents. Mm. Some of them might don't have ability to read the uh, characters too. So that's mm. why so I'd like to so point out the uh, importance of the, this kind of uh, community organization try to reach uh, and try to find who are vulnerable and who have a difficult situation. So right. for case of the Kurdish um, refugee applicant, so no one knows. This community should have many Kurdish, we know, but we don't know what is the exact number. But uh, right. uh, they they try to still distribute food and also try to distribute money, 30,000 yen to these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, first, several people come to their place. Then it becomes word of mouth. And they finally succeed to collect 2,000 Kurdish asylum seekers' voices and situations. So COVID-19 makes community organization understand how many numbers of Kurdish asylum seekers in that community. So if the people face really difficult situation, people really want to get something, but mm-hmm. thanks to uh, community organizations do some initiative that becomes word of mouth. And uh, I really surprised the word of mouth influence is really mm-hmm. big. Then so that kind of so community organizations activities uh, are spread by word of mouth. And that helps that community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's really interesting points that you know, there's a lot of communities that has 
been very invisible, has become quite visible because of the these current situations. And I think it's quite, you know, from what I've observed from outside the, the Japanese situation at the moment is that the migrant worker issues is one of them. I think, you know, this, this becomes really uh, apparent and there's more people are becoming aware of the issues. So, I mean, you know, the, what happens during COVID, a lot of things are very um, difficult, but at the same time, it has given opportunities for wider society to see the issues that people are facing. I mainly saw collective voices of the Vietnamese people from now. Mm. And okay, I'd like to so introduce two uh, narratives of them. So first stuff is uh, before coming uh, the here. Here means like uh, voluntary shelters. So I'm uh, I'm sleeping under the bridge. Mm. Mm. So so that means so he was homeless. So mm. however, so Japan. Is still enjoy the like ranks three of the economic position, right? And even though I was a case worker for undocumented migrant, so they're really difficult to find a case of the homeless. Anyway, mm. so they have some ways to uh, have an apartment any any occasions. However, this COVID 19 so makes the situation more difficult. And uh, that guy um, tells me. The, it, it's a reality, so some people still sleep, need to sleep under the bridge. Mm. And uh, there are no preparation by national government or local government to... Actually, this population is not small number, more than thousands. So mm. there should be so some like uh, measures by national government to accommodate these populations. But unfortunately, you know, there are not such kind of shelters on them by uh, public one. That's why like private ones so do that, and as that guy so fortunately so come here. But that guy also say because of technical intensive, just go to the workplace, come back to his apartment. That's continuing this kind of stuff every day, and uh, work itself is really easy to remember, and uh, there are no need to have a conversation in Japanese. So he say if if so I could speak some Japanese and I could read some Japanese, I might can do better way. But because of the I can't understand any Japanese, that brings me this desperate situation he mentioned. Mm-hmm. So regardless of the their way of uh, coming to Japan, so language is a kind of the essential point for them to survive in this country so but unfortunately japan still does not have any official program um as germany i think germany have a good uh, program for migrants for education of german language right however uh in japan there's still no national level of the language program mm-hmm. that also illustrates that point and the second narrative is my vulnerable migrant. Maybe so. We should so define the word vulnerable to the other words. So actually, so he is also uh, sheltered by one shelter, but he actually wanted to become independent. He so finished completed his intern three years internship, 2020 March. Then, but at that moment, government does not allow him to work. 
because his technical internship is already terminated, completed. Then, nine, nine months later, government finally allowed these、uh, technical interns who finish their internship to work 28 hours per week.、Mm-hmm. But for nine months, he is not allowed to work. But how he can survive?、Mm-hmm. He cannot go, go back to Vietnam. But he,、mm-hmm. he is not allowed to work. That's why so he went. Went to immigration bureau in October to ask, Hey, I want to live in this country. So, could you give me work permit? It's ridiculous.、Uh, immigration just gives some visa, but no work permit. However,、mm-hmm. he cannot get work permit. Then, but he cannot rely on any circle of friends anymore in October because any, anyone suffers. Then finally, he contacted to shelter、uh, organized by a Vietnamese Buddhist temple. Then he g o there. But he said he, he really d o not want to do that because、uh, he wants to become independent. So we should focus on the, his her resilience of himself. Once he or she g e t some empowerment, there should be some spaces for him to stand by himself, herself. So, That illustrates the inflexibility of the policy sometimes cannot match with the willingness of the migrant. It's my findings by narratives or testimonies.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there are many narratives out there, and you, yeah, yet you only explain two, right? So, how, how, does it,、uh, how was it for you when you're doing this research and meeting them personally?、Mm-hmm. Yes, actually. Thanks to joining this project. So, this project is nearly so any researcher or practitioner is very close to the community. And because of my PhD、um, study, so I apart from the community for a while, but thanks to this project, so I come back to the community again. So, I think so. Some researchers might so really do like the best research and don't. Try not to so understand the community so much. But also, practitioner might be too busy to understand the issues structurally、mm. or like a more macro way.、Mm. So, this research experience makes me to, as an ex caseworker or activist and currently researcher, there should be so something I can contribute to. So, hopefully, so I continue、uh, this type of research to try to figure out what is the issue, what is the cause of the issue,、mm-hmm. and what is the action on that. And I try to so, visualize that to、mm-hmm. contribute to、uh, these migrants、um, have a better way of life in Japan in the future. But of、mm-hmm. course, I cannot do something on the guy who slept. Under the bridge, and who wanted to work, even though he doesn't have a work permit. So sometimes I feel like I'm really sorry for this kind of people. I cannot do directly do something just to hear the voice of them. But、mm-hmm. I try to so reflect to myself.、Mm. Mm-hmm. One person can do something, but cannot do everything.、Mm-hmm. So that just means like.、Uh, There should be a、so、lot of sharing, should be happen there. So, at least, so I 
ask to myself to respect any type of people's work. So I should respect the role of the caseworker. I might so criticize much for national governments, but of course there should be some people who want to do proceed some. So I should so respect each person's uh, position or work. It's kind of like uh, learning after doing this research to myself. Right, and um, as you say, like, uh, is there any like um, civil society advocacy uh, uh, organization that have emerged uh, after this, uh, after this, yeah, COVID situation in protecting in protecting the migrant workers and uh, and as you say, uh, okay, there are, and, and they are trying to gather donations and. And during gathering these donations, of course, they have to like follow up because they cannot just have three hundred dollars, right? They it has to come again and again because mm-hmm. COVID situation is not ending yet. So, what are the challenges right now for them to, you know, like keep, uh, yeah, protecting these uh, these uh, migrant workers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also uh, good questions. So, of course, uh, resource is limited and uh, money doesn't also come forever. If so they say, it is emergent donation, then three months later, emergent donation, and three months later, emergent donation. Of course, yeah. it's more difficult for them to so, collect the money. So I think so that's why um, there are some rules for researchers like me to uh, teach what is the issues. And also, we, it will, Civil society organization should educate media to tell what is the issues. And like, for instance, some of my students or some like just like a person who just see the television and got to know. And so he see wants to do something. For instance, actually I appear on the TV and I talk about the case. And after that, so I heard like some uh, farmer Call to some voluntary organization. Mm. I want to donate the vegetables, fresh vegetables, because I really want to do something. So such kind mm. of stuff already happens. So how we can involve not only just like uh, who already know the issue, but also who didn't, who don't know issues yet. Mm. And also, um, COVID nineteen illustrates oh there are many civil society organizations there. So not only bigger or like advocacy type of the organization, but also I feel like so community organizations role is really important. But this kind of small community organization tend to always lack of money. So hopefully I can illustrate the importance of this small type of organization to get a fund or a subsidy to continue so sustainable work. So um, to make it sustainable, let other people know it's kind of my uh gaining for now yeah i think from what you're saying earlier as well it's kind of relates how you know through this research what we're trying to do was to kind of the correct narratives people's experiences mm-hmm. and then look at it in the ways that how there is a structural problems behind those issues that on the ground and how we can amplify these 
the voices and the needs of people in a different level. So it's kind of your role as a field researcher and what you do your daily life is really kind of connecting this uh, from the you know the experiences of the the communities into kind of the implications in terms of like, the policies or that kind of bigger structure um, so that the issues will not repeat forever <laughs> um, so this is some something that you know we try to do and we we want to do as well um, I think and also like yeah from what you're saying in terms of civil societies and community organizations that really showed us how you know they their work is very important and they're supporting the resilience of the community itself um, and you know one of our kind of recommendations or, or guide, guidelines that we come up with is to ask um, you know, the governments or donor organizations, international organizations that with the power holders uh, to support this resilience, you know, to financially, uh, and not not only just financially, but also with financially and also to work with them um, so that the, the, this community resilience is supported and it's actually, you know, it's a participation of, of people affected by themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I hope that uh, this is something that also you know happening or gradually grow in japan as well um i don't know how you see that um but yeah this is something that i i thought about while you're listening what you're saying mm -hmm. um yeah so uh yeah as, as uh we already see how important how what is the importance of this cross-regional platform right so to tell stories and to 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 raise awareness and that's exactly what you mariko uh said and mentioned about how important it is um yeah would you like to say more about like uh the current uh, development and perhaps what is your hopes uh what we can do in the future in order you know to better advocates the rights of uh, workers or or the migrants in the future yeah. and also if I can add another question is just if, if you Jotaro have any you know points that you want to raise around the development after our research together uh, you mentioned some of the story from October um, time but yeah how how did things um, are developing and better or worse uh, i don't know but yeah i would like to know if you have anything that you want to share with us mm -hmm. okay thank you so much for your questions okay for first for andy's questions so uh, the possibility or how to develop this so close uh, regional so platform yeah so yeah of course close regional platform so it looks like really so big one and a huge one but like uh, I'd like to so uh, like the importance of like uh, micro level of communication because uh, this kind of migrant advocate. I think basically so Southeast Asian countries and East Asian countries so government is not so pure for migrant. They just want to so circulate the migrant labor. Is I what I understood. So sometimes against the. Uh, idea of national government so needs really big power. But uh, I already so feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Uh, this Singaporean guy or this Malaysian ready guy, oh, do that kind of stuff. So that feels me, oh, I'm not alone. And especially in the, during the COVID-19. So sometimes we need to so first to stay home for some time. But like, uh, even though 
that kind of situation we can connect with、uh, these people and、uh, can confirm so we are not alone. So, this kind of like、uh, micro level communication is still important for this so close regional platform.、Mm-hmm. And for, but for, if I come up with a bigger picture, so how come?、Um, now, so Southeast Asia have ASEAN, but、mm-hmm. East Asia does not have any such kind of platform because of difficulty in historical recognition and、yeah. some other stuff. But,、uh, I think Southeast Asia have, might have a possibility to mediate or coordinate the relations of the East Asian countries where so having a many political dispute for now. So, both, for instance, like Korea, both Korea and Japan nearly have a really、uh, similar migration system. And so, each destination country so send the migrants both Korea to Japan. But if so, that kind of sending organization gives us a recommendation or something, both Korea and Japan. So, Korean and Japanese government or civil societies might so consider together. It might be, become a good chance for East Asian countries to work together.、Mm-hmm. So, I think this platform might so, especially for East Asia, so bring something good in the future, is my coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And Mariko's questions or、oh, development after October, yes,、mm-hmm. there are so many developments.、Mm-hmm. And so, difficulties. Okay, for first, difficulties. So, after October, Japanese government relaxed border, and、uh, many in- technical interns and students start to come to Japan till、um, January 21st. Uh, we, when Japanese government、uh, shut down the border again. My point is so between so October and、uh, January,、uh, many Vietnamese so come to Japan, and the number is more than 50,000. Though、uh, there are 40,000 Vietnamese are stuck in Japan and、uh, hoping、uh, finding a way to survive. So th- that's so illustrates、uh, Japan only want to fresh. Uh, labor to work in the remote area. But、uh, I hope、uh, Japanese government also c a r e about、uh, those who are having a difficulty in Japan. And these pe- number of these people is increasing, increasing every day. And the Japanese government finally allowed these people who have a difficulty、uh, to work 28 hours per week. But that also, I observed. Just they, that government allows them to temporarily stay. Government do not want them to live in this、uh, ethnocentric country.、Mm-hmm. Very unfortunate, but after October, I can see this kind of tendency very easily.、Mm-hmm. Then, after October, what I do is I think I'm the one of the researchers who found that kind of fact very quickly. So, I allowed, <laughs> I allowed this point so very quickly. So, for instance, last week, yeah, I already s o speak in English and、uh, giving a lot. And、um, we, Japan, will host the Olympic Games 2020 pretty soon. And like a discussion about the border should so happen again. And so, government should so temporarily release the border. Again, and、uh, many temporarily 
coming people should still come to Japan in the other future. But、uh, people like me, civil society, who really understand what is migrants, migrants themselves, so we should say we are here to stay and live together. So we should still, that's why power of narratives is really important. Oh, that migrants have such a good possibility to live with me together. Such kind of like feelings are really attached on the people and、uh, have a possibility to move something. So that's why、um, I feel like this project, so connecting the narrative, are really important. And so today I just speak on behalf of the migrants because of like a language or something. But hopefully in the near future,、um, several of my、um, Friends, my friends, that means migrants, should also come to here. Of course, we need some interpretation anyway, but、uh, hopefully, the migrants themselves also can deliver the voices what happened、yeah. in Japan. And、uh, I believe this kind of platform should still change the society and also facil- facilitate and、uh, motivate the resilience of people to live in Japan. Thank you so much. Right, so that, that is very insightful uh, uh, stories that you actually explain.、Uh, I learned a lot, especially. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yes, I think I would definitely agree about、uh, that we are、uh, inter- interdependent between East, Southeast Asian countries and East Asia. There is a supply and demand. Uh, very interdependent, and yeah, there is there has to be this platform has to provide this mediation between between those uh, regional uh, countries. Yeah, would you like to say to add up more, Mariko? No, I mean, it was really、um, interesting conversations, and I'm you know, I'm very happy to learn、uh, the developments as well and what we can do together in the future. And I personally, as Japanese, you know, like the Japanese situations is really something that I, I very much care about, and I'm really、uh, happy to hear from you today. Thank、mm-hmm. you. To know more about this joint research and the situations of other major migrant workers' destinations in East and Southeast Asia, listen to other episodes of this podcast series on COVID 19 and migrant workers. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.